Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Joseph continues as governor of Egypt, and Jacob blesses his sons before he dies. Government, Blessings, and Consequences. Genesis 47 to 49, Lesson 11 of the Sons of Israel Study. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. On the last episode, Joseph and his father are finally reunited. And then when Jacob meets Pharaoh, he tells him that his life has been short but hard. And so we spend the rest of our time reflecting back on Jacob's life and the difficulties that he faced, but also how God had been with him. And then just think a little bit about our own lives and how we describe them to other people. So if you missed that episode, you'll want to go back and listen to that because we have several verses about God and how he's in control of our lives and how he can be our joy and strength whenever things are hard and how we should be thankful for the life that God's given us. Today we pick up after Joseph has settled his family in the land of Goshen, right there near Egypt, as he goes back to his job as the governor of Egypt. So let's go ahead and read beginning in Genesis 47, 11. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number of their families. So I'm going to stop right there and talk about how they are settled in the land of Ramses. Earlier, they called this land Goshen, and that was the name of the town whenever they settled there. But by the time Moses is writing this, just before they go into the promised land, Ramses has taken over Egypt as the Pharaoh and built a great empire there in Goshen, and it's been renamed Ramses. So the Israelites that he's writing to would know it as the land of Ramses. And that's the reason that he's writing it that way, so that they can understand the place that he's talking about. So it's not a contradiction at all, just a difference in who would know it by what name. And then notice that he says he gives his father and his brothers enough food according to their families. And so apparently there was a ration system that you got a certain amount of food per person in your family. And he's done that for his family. Let's go ahead and keep reading in verse 13. Now there was no bread in the land for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. 
So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and all of the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock, if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all of their livestock for that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants to Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they didn't sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your household and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. Okay, so summary of what has happened here is that the famine is still going on and the people are out of money to buy food. And so they go to Joseph and explain that to him. And he says, if you will give me your livestock, then I'll give you food in exchange for them. And so they used their animals as currency in order to buy enough food for that year. And then when that year was up, the famine was still going on. Now they have no money and no animals, so they sell themselves and their land to the king. And so the government owns all of their land, and he gives them seed to plant on their land. And when the harvest comes, they have to give one-fifth of whatever they grow to Pharaoh, and the rest can be theirs. Now, this happens with everybody except for the priests, because they already kind of have common land. Their land is more like public land. They live there and providing that they work for the people, then they don't really have any income of their own and they already get rations of food from the government. They're like public servants. And then it says, this is just the interesting part to me, is that the people are so happy at this point, they don't care at all. And so they get to have food and live and they don't care that the land doesn't belong to them and that they're basically working for Pharaoh. All of that's fine to them because they get to live and not die of this famine. But what's interesting is that this becomes a lasting law. So in the time of crisis, they begin giving 20% of what they grow to the government. 
But even after the crisis is over, they still continue to give 20% of their income, basically, to the government. So this is really the first implementation of a tax that we know of from the government by the people. And what's interesting is that it all started in a time of crisis whenever the people really did need the government. But then when the people are ready to be on their own again, they're kind of indebted to the government. And this law never changes. It kind of just shows what happens whenever the government gets a little bit of control over the people. It doesn't seem to really go away. Anyway, let's go ahead and continue reading in verse 27. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And Joseph said, I will do as you have said. And then Jacob said, Swear to me. So Joseph swore to him, and Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. So this passage begins telling us that the people had great possessions and they grew and multiplied exceedingly, which was God's plan, right? His intent was for them to grow into a great nation, as many as the sand on the sea and the stars in the sky. And we talked when they first moved there that this was the perfect place for them to grow into that nation because the land was very abundant. So this was happening within that 17 years that Jacob was living in Egypt. Then Jacob realizes that he's going to die soon. And he asks Joseph to promise him that he will not allow him to die and be buried in the land of Egypt. He wants to be buried with the rest of his family back in the land that God had promised for all of them to belong to. Because he's already a stranger in this land of Egypt and he does not want to rest forever in the land of Egypt. And so Joseph promises that he will do this. The way he promises it is very odd. And we've saw this one other time whenever Abraham made his servant promise to bring back a wife for Isaac and not let Isaac go to where that woman lived. And putting the hand under the thigh was really like a very intimate handshake. It's how you make a deal, but not a deal over I'm buying your house, more something that's personal, something that you have a relationship with that person, like a son would to his father. I'm glad we don't have that tradition now. It's very odd. But anyway, that was common back then. So let's go ahead and continue to read beginning in chapter 48. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. So Israel strengthened himself and sat up on his bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. 
So Jacob basically just recited to Joseph what happened to him when he left home and God came to him in the Jacob's Ladder dream. And remember last week how we talked about Jacob describing the years of his life as few and evil. And I don't know if it's because now everything is better. He's with Joseph and all of his family is there and getting along. And it's been good for him for the last 17 years. Or if he always knew this, but at this moment, he is able to see all of the good things that God's done for him. And he tells Joseph that God has blessed him and that God promised to make him fruitful and multiply him into a great multitude of people. And then that those people would inherit a land that he had promised to Isaac and to Abraham before him. So Jacob is about to die and he's reminding Joseph that they are going to leave this place of Egypt and inherit a land that God has given to their family. Now let's go ahead and continue reading in verse 5. Now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Just as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring that you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, which is called Bethlehem. So Jacob is explaining to Joseph that his two grandsons are no longer going to be counted as his grandsons. He's going to count them as his very own sons. And so whatever inheritance each of his sons get, then Joseph's sons will each get that also. So instead of Joseph getting a inheritance from his father, like all the rest of his brothers, and then having to split it among his kids, each one of his kids will get their own inheritance that is equal to what is being given to the rest of Joseph's brothers. So this will make Joseph basically having double what his brothers have. And then he just talks about how Rachel had died on their way to Bethlehem and he had had to bury her there. Maybe he's telling Joseph about his mom and how she died because he's just again explaining why he has such favor on Joseph because he's Rachel, the beloved wife's son. I don't know, but he throws that in there about Rachel being buried on the way to Bethlehem. And then let's go ahead and read in verse 8. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given to me in this place. And he says, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he couldn't see. So Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and embraced them. So if you remember also Jacob's father, Isaac, his eyes were blind at the end of his life and he was unable to see to the extent that he couldn't even tell the difference between Jacob and Esau. And that's how Jacob had deceived his father. So the same is happening to him as he is about to die, that his eyes are bad and he can't quite tell who's coming to him. And so Joseph explains that these are his sons. And then listen to verse 11. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has shown me your offspring. So he's so excited because he said, I didn't even think I was ever going to see you again. And now I'm seeing your sons. That must have been so wonderful for Jacob. 
Now verse 12. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and the left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So what he's doing here is that whoever is on the right hand is supposed to be the oldest son that gets the blessing that the oldest son gets. And so Joseph was guiding Manasseh because he was the oldest to Jacob's right hand and Ephraim to his left. But whenever the boys got to him, Jacob crossed his arms and put his right hand on Ephraim's head and his left hand on Manasseh's head. And then he says this blessing, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these lads, let my name be named among them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he begins by saying who God is. He says, the God of my fathers, the God that has taken care of me and protected me and given me all that I need. I call on that God to bless these boys and let these boys names be named among my children and let them grow into a multitude of people. So again, Jacob is recognizing all that God has done for him how he's taken care of him, given all that he needs, and protected him from evil. Verse 17. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the hand of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and put it on Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall become great. But truly his younger brothers shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So Joseph obviously didn't quite approve of what his dad was doing. He was trying to show him that he was mistaken and that he had already put the oldest there by his right hand. But Jacob quickly explained that he did that on purpose. And so it just makes you wonder, why did he do that? If you remember, he was the youngest son and he always wanted the blessing that the oldest son was supposed to receive. And he fought for that all his life. And so maybe that's why maybe he just was showing a little favor to the youngest one because he was the youngest. This seems to be a pattern because even though Isaac, technically he was Abraham and Sarah's firstborn, he was not Abraham's firstborn because Abraham had Ishmael with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, whenever Sarah wasn't able to have any children. So technically Ishmael was the oldest and should have been receiving the inheritance according to the law of men, but God never intended that. God always intended for it to be Isaac, the son that was born to Sarah and Abraham. And so Isaac was the promised son, the one that would inherit the promise also. But technically he was the younger son of Abraham. 
And then Jacob was the younger son who did trick his father whenever his father was blind and say that he was Esau so that he could receive Esau's firstborn blessing. So Isaac, as the second son, received the blessing and the promise. And then Jacob, the second son, received the blessing and promise. And now Joseph, second son, Ephraim, is receiving the greater blessing from his grandfather. Now let's read in verse 20. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So after Joseph corrected him, then he continued on with his blessing and said, you know, may everybody bless you and say that they wish they were as great as as y'all. And then verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. So he reassures Joseph and says, You know, I'm dying, but God is going to bring y'all back to the land that he promised to me and my father and my grandfather. So don't worry. And then he says, When you get to that land, you're going to get an extra portion of the land because I just gave to each one of your sons. Instead of you having to divide one portion among two of them, then there will be two portions. So he's going to have one above what his brothers get. And then apparently he's going to get a special piece of land that Jacob had taken from the Amorites. Now, there's no mention of this battle anywhere before now, so we don't know anything about it. But apparently there was a special piece of land that he had gotten from the Amorites that he wanted Joseph's family to have. Now, after he does all of this, then he gathers all of his sons in there and asks that they all listen to his prophecy for each one of their lives. Some of the Bible's headings might say that Jacob blesses his sons, but you'll quickly see that these are really not blessings, that they're more just like prophecies, because beginning in verse 1 of chapter 49, it says, Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear you, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. And so that's really what happens. He just gathers his sons together and tells them what's going to happen to each of them. And you'll notice very quickly when he gives this prophecy to the first three sons that it is definitely not a blessing because these are not blessings what he says to them. So Jacob goes around the room talking with each son, beginning with Leah's sons, and then he goes to the maidservant's sons, and then lastly he talks to Rachel's. So let's go ahead and read in verse 3 about Reuben. If you'll remember, Reuben is Leah's firstborn son, and his name means he sees. And she calls him that because she says that, God has seen how she wasn't loved and given her a son. So verse three, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. So he sounds very proud of him, right? And it sounds like it is going to be a blessing. He sounds like he's just his pride and joy, you know, the one that made him a dad and he's so excited. But then listen to verse four, but you are unstable as water. You will not excel because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. 
So his name has a little bit of meaning here too, because this is Jacob saying, I know what you did. Like, I see you too for who you are. What you did with Bilhah after Rachel died, that was not acceptable. And the fact that you slept with a woman that I also slept with is not okay. And you will not excel. Now, the next two sons were Simeon and Levi. Simeon's name means to hear. And that's because God heard her cries and gave her another son. And then Levi's name means attached. And she names him this because she says maybe now her husband will be attached to her because she's given him three sons. So let's read about them. Verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob. I will scatter them in Israel. So remember that Simeon's name means to hear. And Jacob said, no one should be listening to you. You are hot-headed and your counsel should not be listened to. And then he says, because the two of you conspired together to do this thing to the men of Shechem, you're not going to live amongst each other when you get into the promised land. And you're going to be scattered within other people's territories because of this thing that you conspired to do together. So if we look ahead into when they do inherit the promised land, Simeon's territory is right in the middle of Judah's territory. So everyone else gets their own little plot of land and he gets his own plot of land, but it's surrounded on all sides by Judah's land. So his land is scattered within other people's territories. And then the Levites become the priests And they take care of the churches so they don't get any land that belongs specifically to them. Their land is right around the church and it's just common land that they get to live on. And Levi is not attached at all to itself. There's no joining of their tribe because they plant churches within each brother's territory. And so the Levites are scattered amongst all of the territories. So they no longer get to be joined. Now you see why I said it's not really correct to say Jacob blesses his sons because these first three are not blessings. They are just prophecies, just telling them what will happen to them in the future after he dies. Now, Judah is the fourth son of Leah. And when Leah named Judah, she named him praise because she just was praising God for this fourth son that she had. And he is the first one to receive praise from Jacob. So let's read about him. This is verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. So Judah is to be praised, it says, just like his name indicates. And it talks about him being a lion. 
And what is a lion? A lion is considered the king of the jungle, right? And so the rest of this language is kingdom language. Talks about the scepter not departing from him. And when does it say? It says, until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means the one that the scepter belongs to. So who is that? That's Jesus, right? And so your family will hold the scepter until the one that actually the scepter belongs to comes along. Okay. So that's telling us that Judah's line will have kings all the way up until Jesus. And then Jesus is the king that will come from his lineage. And so then it talks about Jesus in this last 11 and 12, when it talks about binding his donkey to the vine and he washes his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. This is all a picture of Jesus. This binding his donkey to the vine and the colt, that's talking about Jesus on Palm Sunday, whenever he rides the colt into town and the people all lay the palm branches and he asks his disciples to go get a colt that hasn't been ridden on. All of those things are talking about Jesus. And then it says he washes his clothes in the blood of grapes. Listen to this verse in John 6, 53 through 58. It says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples, basically telling them about his sacrifice and the blood that he's going to shed for them. And then in verse 12, when it says his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk, his blood is going to wash us white. His sacrifice is going to make us clean. So this is all just symbolism talking about Jesus, letting us know what is actually going to happen in the line of Judah. So this is definitely a son to be praised, right? Because the Messiah comes from his family. All right, so let's move on. Zebulun, this is the next son of Leah. Zebulun's name means dwelling. And whenever she had Zebulun, she said, maybe now my husband will live with me now that I've had another son for him. And so this prophecy to Zebulun just tells him where he's going to live. It says, Zebulun shall live by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his borders shall adjoin Sidon. And so he does live by the sea on the northern coastlands. That's the land that he inherits, bordering Phoenicia. And he benefits from the trade ships. We find all of that out later on whenever they inherit the promised land. Now, Issachar is her last son. And Issachar's name means wages. Leah names him wages because whenever she got pregnant with him, it was because she had given some mandrakes that Reuben had found to Rachel in exchange for a night to sleep with Jacob. And so what happened is that Reuben found this fruit and this fruit was said to make you fertile and Rachel wanted it. And so she asked for the fruit and thought that this would allow her to get pregnant. And she told Leah, if you will give me these, then you can sleep with him tonight. And so she basically paid 
for a night with her husband, which is horrible. But anyway, she paid for him and she got pregnant with Issachar. And so she named him Wages. So this is his prophecy beginning in 14. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulders to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. So he's a hard worker and he benefits from being strong and industrious and hardworking. The next son is Dan, and Dan is the first son of Bilhah. Bilhah is the maidservant that Rachel gave to Jacob in order to have children for her because Leah had had four sons at this time and Rachel had had none. And so she decided she wasn't going to be able to have any children, but she could give her maidservant to him and have children through her. And so Dan is the first son of this maidservant, Bilhah. And whenever she had Dan, she said that God had judged her case against her sister and given her this son. His name means to judge. So judges come from Dan's lineage. Verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. So he judges his people and apparently some of the judges are not fair. They are tricky and deceptive like the serpents and might need some salvation from the Lord. Now, Gad is the first son of Zilpah, and Zilpah is the maidservant that Leah gave to Jacob to have sons for her when she stopped having children and realized that Rachel was having children through her maidservant. And when Leah saw that her maidservant Zilpah was pregnant, she named this son Gad, and that means a troop comes. And she says this because she's like, um, yeah, well, you've had a, you know, couple sons through your maidservant, but I've had four of my own sons and now I'm having another one through my servant. So here's the troops. So let's read about Gad. Verse 19, Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. So the land that Gad inherits is open to invasions. So Jacob is just telling him, your land will be invaded, but you will try it. So that's a little bit of encouragement. Now, the next son is Asher, and this is also Zilpah's son. And when Asher comes along, Leah is so happy that she has this son. And so she names him Happy. Verse 20 says, Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. So he apparently is happy and feasting in his life. The next son is Naphtali, and this is the last son by Bilhah, which is, remember, Rachel's maidservant. His name means wrestling, and so she is wrestling with her sister, and so she names him that. And the prophecy for him says, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. So it sounds like he is poetic and free right? If he's let loose, then that means he's free. So this wrestling, you know, he's breaking free. Now, the next son is Joseph, and this is the first son that Rachel has. And when Rachel has Joseph, she realizes, I can finally have a son. And so she names him to add or multiply, be fruitful. His name indicates those words because she just now realized she can be fruitful. Now she can have a son. 
So she names him to add so that she may have more children after him now that she knows that she can be fruitful. And so all of Joseph's blessing is just about him being fruitful, about everything multiplying, his gifts being abundant. Okay, so verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and his arms of his hands were made strong. By the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you, and by the Almighty, who will bless you. With blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. So his blessing shows resilience, right? Because it starts talking about how the archers have grieved him and shot at him and hated him. This is a picture of what has happened. His brothers have attacked him and hated him, but he remains strong and God got him through. And so he's explaining basically why he gets all of these blessings because he has been separated from his brothers and hated by them and attacked by them. And he still remains strong. God has been with him and taking care of him. And now he's going to bless him abundantly. He will add to his blessings. He will multiply his blessings. Now, this word separate, when he says the one that has been separated from his brothers, this is a word, the same word that they use for the Nazarites, which are a group of people that set themselves specifically apart to the Lord. They talk about this group in Numbers 6, 1 through 21, if you want to look that up. But it gives a lot of rules that they go by that just shows that they're putting God first. You know, things that they will abstain from and ways that they will show that they're spending all their time and effort on God at this moment. They are literally set aside for God. All of their time, all of their efforts, everything that they do, they set aside for God. And they do this for a time. So this is the same word that's used as when they talk about the Nazarites separating themselves for God. So, you know, Joseph also was separate. He was separate from his brothers, but he was also separated to God because he was set aside for God's plan placed in that place specifically to be used by God. So that's just a little interesting information about the prophecy regarding Joseph. Now, the last son is Benjamin, and Benjamin is the last son that's born to Rachel. When Rachel has Benjamin, she dies in childbirth. And so she named him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But after she died, Jacob renamed him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And so he's like, you are going to be right here with me. You are going to be my right hand man. You're going to be the one that's standing up with me. And so Benjamin is a bold man. And so listen to verse 27 says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey. And at night, he shall divide the spoil. So he has kind of a warlike nature. He's kind of dominant. And he produced descendants like Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and like Paul, who was the first to persecute the Christians and then also became an apostle and wrote much of the New Testament, all of the letters to the churches. Both of these men were strong and bold. 
outspoken, you know, they would be your right hand man for sure. Right. So these are the type of people that come from his lineage. And then verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. So we're going to stop right there and we'll finish the rest of this book next lesson, hopefully. This lesson, I know, did not have a lot of self-application or a lot of verses for us to rely on in our lives, but it was a lot of information about the Jewish nation and how it got started and just the end of Jacob's life. So if we're going to get any application out of this, I think that we just need to remember all of the blessings that God did give to Jacob and remind ourselves again that God has given us wonderful life no matter what our circumstances are because we have him and he's with us. And then also take a little bit of a look at Judah and just remind ourselves of the king that came through him that was the king of all of heaven and all of earth that made himself a man so that he could sacrifice for us and wash us in his blood that we might be clean. So you just need to thank Jesus for that and know that all of this started all of the time ago and God was preparing the way from the very beginning. This is the first book of the Bible and it's already giving us a little glimpse into our future our future with Jesus, and then the future of the Israelites, which is still ongoing today because that's the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode because we are going to wrap up Jacob and Joseph's lives and the book of Genesis. And there will be a lot of self-application next week because we're going to talk about God's purposes and that is not something you're going to want to miss. Also, leave me comments wherever you're listening. Leave me a five-star review and we'll wrap up the rest of this book next week. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you.